Hi, I'm Micah Woods. This is the ATC Double Cut, where I talk about turfgrass topics that I've thought were important enough to spend time writing about. So I've written about them and put some type of information about them on the ATC website. And then I want more people to know about these, or I'd like to provide some additional information. So I kind of have fun talking about these topics too. And I can explain why I wrote some of these things, or I can explain uh, why I think it's worth studying this a little bit more. I'm going to talk about a post about zoysia seed heads. I gave this a fancy title. I called it a hypothesis about the fecundity of zoysia. This one is a topic that I'm really interested in, and I'm going to share my screen you will be able to get a direct link to this post if you're listening to this or if you're watching it on YouTube. You can go to the show description and you'll be able to get a direct link to this particular post, which does have a couple of pretty pictures in it. The, and um, this is called A Hypothesis About the Fecundity of Zoysia. And I think this is absolutely fascinating because it's a problem that is unique and interesting and nobody really has the perfect answer right now, which is why I make a hypothesis about it based on some of the observations that I made. If you're in the United States or if you're in Italy, if you're in a place at a latitude of like... Uh, Let's say even if you're in Sydney, Australia, if you're somewhere in the world at a latitude of uh, 30, 35, 40 degrees away from the equator, you'll tend to have winters that are so cold that the zoysia goes dormant and you don't have seed head production when zoysia is dormant. And then... Um, that would also include Japan, Korea, places that have a lot of zoysia. The, um, the zoysia seed heads are not really produced in the winter. But when you get into the tropics, it's, it's a different situation. Because at places like Bangkok, which is 13 degrees from the equator, Manila, which is... 13 degrees from the equator. Places like Puerto Rico, which is 18 degrees from the equator. You'll have warm temperatures where the grass does not go dormant in the winter and you have short days. So what happens is zoysia produces seed heads when the days get short, when the days are less than 12 hours, basically. And what, but it doesn't produce many seed heads when the days are long, when the days are when the day length is 12 and a half hours, 13 hours, 14 hours, something like that. The two things that you need for zoysia to produce seed heads are warm temperatures and short days. Now, it's interesting if you're in Texas or if you're in Arkansas or if you're in Tennessee or Georgia or South Carolina you'll get a flush of zoysia seed heads in the spring, generally. 
as the temperatures are warm enough for the grass to grow and as the day length is crossing over from less than 12 hours to more than 12 hours. And it may be that a lot of those seed heads were actually started in the autumn when the temperatures were still warm, but the the grass hadn't gone completely dormant yet and the day length was shortening in the autumn, going from more than 12 hours a day to less than 12 hours day length. But then what happens is that seed head production stops because the grass goes dormant. And then in the springtime, as it warms up, those seed heads continue to develop. They develop, they, they spring up above the leaves generally. They sometimes have a purple tinge to them, sometimes have a... Uh, yellowish or tan tinge depending on the stage of the seed head and the type of zoysia that you're working with and then in parts of the world where the day links are then quickly go to be long there's no more seed head production but it's a different situation that will happen in bangkok it's really interesting you get into the tropics and now when the day length drops below 11 well when it drops below 12 hours per day 12 hour day length when it drops below that in the autumn and now you have days that are 11 hours and 45 minutes or 11 and a half 11 and a half hour day lengths the temperatures will still be warm the zoysia doesn't go dormant and you can still have seed head production so you have seed head production in october and in november and in december and in january and in february and in March, and in April. So you have six months of the year when you have rather prolific seed head production. So this becomes a problem when you're trying to manage turf and you don't want to have a lot of seed heads. And the question that I've had, are there any cultural practices that one can do to minimize that? Is it the like if you increase irrigation or reduce irrigation, what effect does that have on seed head production? Or how about phosphorus fertilizer or nitrogen fertilizer or mowing frequency and so on? I'm interested about that. And in this post called A Hypothesis About the Fecundity of Zoysia, I explain what my current hypothesis is. I started off by showing a tweet from Al Bancroft. Al is in Japan and he uses a lot of zoysia sod and he showed something that he called Cori Sod Tetris. Cori is zoysia matrella, manila grass. Cori is the Japanese name for that grass. He showed what he called Tetris, which is a uh, like a block-like pattern where certain pieces of sod were showing zoysia seed heads and others were not. And he doesn't really know what that, what causes that. I don't really know what causes it either, but I have a hypothesis and I'm going to explain that. In Japan, this would typically be an issue just in the spring or in the autumn. That's where, if you're somewhere that's 30 degrees away from the equator, 35 degrees away from the equator, which is what, where Al is, you won't get a lot of seed head production in the summer because although the temperatures are warm enough for zoysia to be producing seeds, 
the day lengths are too long. And zoysia produces seeds when the day lengths are short. So you typically are not going to have an issue other than in spring and in autumn. I have, did I put, I don't think in this post, no, I didn't show the pictures that I've got about my Tetris. So I've seen this where sod from nurseries in Thailand has been planted in, um, it's, it's customary to use this type of sod on roadsides in Thailand. And it's also customary to use this sod in, for example, um, the medians in landscaping areas around shopping malls and housing developments and so on. I saw this in Southern Thailand as a parking lot of a shopping mall was being re was being expanded and renovated. And there was, sod being laid there and I noticed as this construction project was underway and then coming to a, a completion that there was also a Tetris pattern with seed heads on some pieces of sod and not on others and it makes one wonder was it drought stress as the sod was transported that caused that flush of seed heads is it you wouldn't really think that it, in this case, that it would be due to variety because all of these pieces are coming from the same field. It's, it's, quite, it's quite an interesting one. But what I wrote about in this post is what I've noticed in a couple of situations just by watching what happens over time as the grass is growing. I have been visiting an island in the Andaman Sea, and I put a, a photo of that. And there's a lawn of manila grass on this island that goes right up to the beach. And this is a low-maintenance lawn. It doesn't get much fertilizer or irrigation. I'm, I've never seen it fertilized. I'm just going to assume that this is an unfertilized lawn of manila grass. Now, it's on a beautiful piece of property looking out at the Andaman Sea, occasionally has some long tail boats going by. I've put together a video recently that shows how Zoysia sod makes its way out to this island. Now, the this particular grass and this lawn in this photo is different than the sod in the video. This is a finer bladed Zoysia matrella but uh, I made a video. I'll put a link to that also so you can see how the sod is transported on these long tail boats, which is something that is uh, fascinating for me on a, from a turf tourism type of perspective. I'm fascinated in how there are interesting and unique ways of taking care of turf, transporting turf, and interesting grasses that are used all around the world. And I think one of the most interesting things is transporting sod on long tail boats out to resort islands in the Andaman Sea. Anyway, this lawn is right next to the ocean. There's a little beach and then it goes out to the calm waters of the Andaman Sea. This lawn is grown on a sand root zone, very low nutrient inputs, basically none. And there are a couple of patches of green turf there. And that green turf has grown up much more. And when I look at that more closely, 
when I look at this lawn and I look at these patches that have grown up, and this may be because of some animal urine or other type of organic waste that has been left there and then provided a boost, a burst of nitrogen for the grass to use and to grow more. Or it may be a bit of decomposing plant material. Perhaps uh, perhaps there was a bonfire there at one point and it, uh, there was a bit of fish scraps and, and charcoal that was left there. I don't know. I, I presume in this case it's probably, probably to do with animal waste. But if you get up close and look at that, if you get up close and look at these bits of zoysia grass that have been supplied with more nutrients and that have grown more, what you find is a flush of seed head production, much more fecundity in these patches of zoysia that have grown more compared with the adjacent just a couple of steps away zoysia that has not received whatever the nutrient whatever the nutrients are that have stimulated that growth they don't have any seed heads to speak of i wrote in that post meanwhile the surrounding lawns that haven't grown so much no seed heads at all but when we take a closer look at these patches of manila grass Manila grass being zoysia matrella. When we take a closer look at these patches of manila grass with the increased growth, it's apparent that there are a lot of seed heads where the grass has grown more. This is really an interesting topic because as more and more zoysia gets used on high quality turf grass surfaces, whether they be lawns or golf course putting greens, or sports fields in areas of the world with, well, areas of the world that are closer to the equator, meaning it will tend to be a lot warmer during the times of the year when the day lengths are short. You have the opportunity to have zoysia producing seed heads for six, seven, eight months out of the year. And in fact, in Thailand, in southern Thailand, where I am, it's about seven degrees north of the equator. And I can see zoysia seed heads year round. Now, there, there do seem to be a bit more when the day lengths are really short. But the thing is, what happens when you get this close to the equator is the day length is always right around 12 hours. It's a little bit more than 12 hours during the what would be a northern hemisphere summer and the day length is a little bit less than 12 hours during what would be the northern hemisphere winter however it's basically always short days the day length where i am never gets more than about 12.6 hours and it never gets less than about 11. Point four hours. There are always these short days and high temperatures. And because of that, because of these 
short days and high temperatures, the zoysia can always produce seed heads. It's something that uh, my current hypothesis is that it's simply related in these conditions to how much the grass grows. And it's really interesting that you can have excellent zoysia turf grass conditions. Once you have full grass cover, you can then cut the fertilizer and still maintain uh, excellent grass coverage because the grass leaves are so stiff and the grass leaves have such a long lifespan. So it's something that I think right now it seems to be related to how much the grass grows. I also noticed this in a lawn, not, not in my neighborhood, a couple kilometers out of town. I was on a run before, and I wanted to put a picture of this actually in this blog post, but I didn't because it's, it's a couple of kilometers out of town in a, in a home that has had, it was a recently constructed home and that home sodded their lawn with zoysia matrella. And I noticed that there wasn't a Tetris pattern of seed head production based on the way that the sod was laid. I noticed that there looked to be uh, dog spots or urine spots from where the dog had had urinated in the lawn in different spots and created all of these green patches. And over time, that lawn hadn't been mowed. The areas that didn't have the dog spots were just grass with no visible seed heads. But even as I was running along on the road, peeking over the fence into that lawn, I could see that there was a proliferation of seed head production where the grass had grown more. And it makes sense that when the grass grows more, it could make more seed heads. Um, I have a lot of uh, anecdotes like that. I guess this is just all it's observation. And what I have observed is that grass that has been fertilized more will tend to produce more seed heads. I need to do some controlled experiments to try to see if I can cause this to happen. So what I've seen is just observation and I want to try to force this to happen by adding fertilizer to stimulate more growth and seeing if I can cause a measurable increase in seed head production. Stay tuned. That may be something that I do. And I, I think that this is uh, an intriguing one because it would be really cool to find out some ways um, to reduce the seed head production because it can be unsightly. Um, it can be unsightly to have seed heads on your grass for six, seven, eight months out of the year. I think we've got a bit of time to discuss another post. The next one that I want to talk about is called Pitch Marks That Last for Days. This is a little bit about cosmetics, but it's also about playability. And specifically on golf course putting greens, it's pitch marks that last for days. What's the best way to minimize scarring? We can bring up that blog post. I will start sharing my screen again and I will find that post, which is pitch marks that last for days. 
This is one that I gave tags of bent grass, playability, and firmness. And this is something that I was reminded of when I saw balls bouncing on greens at a tournament in Japan. I'll show the videos of that later. Um, and I put links to that in the post. Again, there will be a direct link to this in the description. So whether you're watching or listening to this, you'll be able to go to the show notes and you'll be able to find a direct link to this post where you can see those videos and see how I answered this question that a correspondent wrote. The question was a problem we have at, and here I withhold the location for anonymity, a problem we have at courses with bent grass greens is pitch marks making distress marks on the greens that last four days. Obviously, proper ball mark repair and firm greens help, but are there turf management techniques used beyond this? And I replied with these, well, with this short answer. Here's, here's how I replied. I would only be speculating on the pitch mark topic. Bent grass is always going to bruise, even on firm greens. That will be a visual thing, but should not affect ball roll. Anything beyond a bruise, such as indentation or breaking of the surface from the pitch mark, that will be related to how firm the surface is. The firmness one wants to set to match the course design and optimal playability, and then try to maximize the number of days in the year during which that firmness range is maintained. I put a picture of a rather large pitch mark that I saw on bent grass greens. This was actually at a professional tournament, and I find that golf professionals sometimes have a very aggressive method, what I would call the rototill method, or the green side down method of repairing ball marks in which they they repair it, but the the in the process of repairing it, it it leaves a uh, well. It looks like you've just rototilled the spot. <laughs> I've seen some that actually look like mole cricket damage, with I which I thought was uh, surprising. Now, if the green was firmer, if if the surface had been firmer, the pitch mark would not have been able to be repaired like that one hopes but in this case we've got quite a scar this one's not just going to last for days this one's going to last for weeks i expect maybe a couple weeks for the bent grass to grow over there so i was reminded of this of this problem of just basically there's not much you can do i i didn't really have a good answer to that question other than make the greens as firm as possible and i think that that will reduce the severity of the pitch mark damage. I was reminded of that when the Landic Challenge 9 tournament was held at Kea Golf Club in Japan, and the Japan Golf Tour posted some highlight videos. And I think that this may show. I'll see if I can, I'll see if I can get this to show. There, there's something they call the Today's Best Shot. This is on a par 3, 194 yards. The pro lands it right on the front of the green and it rolls about well it bounces about four or five feet high and then rolls past the hole which is at the back of the green so that that shot from 194 yards maybe it's a five or six iron seven iron 
lands on the front of the green, bounces almost flag high, and it rolls all the way to the back of the green and past the hole. So that's something that I think is remarkable. And there's another shot. I think the other one I posted here is a wedge. Yeah, this is this will be a short wedge from less than 100 yards. This one bounces forward twice into an upslope with a with a wedge and then stops, which I think these type of shots are not really leaving much of a pitch mark at all. It's uh, it's something that is the type of firmness level of on a green, if you can achieve that, that is not going to have uh, much of a problem with pitch marks and certainly no scarring, certainly no, um, what was it called, a blemish? What did my correspondent write? Distress marks. Yeah, I, I just don't think you're going to see a lot of distress marks when the surfaces are at that firmness level. Now, I can't help but mention that those videos from the Landic Challenge tournament were on greens that had only been top dressed one time during calendar year 2021. And at the time of this tournament, which was in early June of 2022, these videos were posted on June 9th and June 10th. The greens at this course had not been sand top dressed in the year 2022. So it's been about one year since the last top dressing event. The greens also have not had holes punched in them. No venting, no coring, no solid tine, no dry jet, no sand injection, no cultivation practices, and no sand top dressing. But by keeping the growth rate under control, the surfaces can still be firm. I think that it is remarkable that surfaces can be that firm without doing all of the cultivation work because I know people think that pulling a core and adding sand is going to make the greens firmer or a lot of people think that that maintenance practice of pulling a core and filling that hole with sand will make the greens firmer. My measurements and my observations have been that somewhat surprisingly that isn't always the case in fact that tends to make the greens softer so i think it's useful to assess the playability i've i've mentioned measuring or keeping track of whether the greens are firm enough if they're too firm or if they're too soft and carl scamenti and i talked about that in an ATC Office Hours episode. I will put a link to that episode also. We had a two-hour discussion. Now, Carl is an excellent person to have input about this and give a very informed opinion because he is a former professional golfer, now someone who plays golf on a regular basis at a 
competitive level to where he wins state championships in the state of New York, which has a large population and a lot of competition there. He's quite an accomplished golfer, and he and I talked about playability and what it makes sense to measure and how firmness can be quite important. So answering that question about pitch marks and the distress marks, the scarring that can happen when greens get a lot of balls landing on them that that are causing damage, I think the number one thing to do is to make the greens just a little bit firmer. If the greens can be made a little bit firmer, then those greens may have less dis, less severe distress marks that don't last for for a long time. But I think it's also interesting to evaluate for your location, wherever you are managing grass, it may actually be possible, although it doesn't seem like it, it may be possible to achieve those firmer surfaces simply by controlling the growth rate and disturbing the surface a little bit less. And that's why it makes sense to me to measure the playability, which is what Carl and I talked about. And I hope that if you're interested in this topic, you'll watch that video or have a listen to that conversation because we we really covered it from all angles. And it turns out if you're in the golf course business, it really is about the playability. And so it makes sense to assess that, to track it. Well, that's two posts, uh, two posts discussed today. The, the, the one that I'm really fascinated about, and I'll be sharing more because I, I live, I'm based in a part of the world where there is a lot of zoysia and I get to see zoysia seed heads through the year, especially when the days are short. And that is therefore something that I'm going to keep trying to figure out. And then of course the pitch marks that last for days, that is one that I never like to see. I don't like to putt on greens that have pitch marks. I don't like to manage greens. They get a lot of pitch marks. So I like the greens to be firm enough that the pitch marks are a manageable problem. And I would be interested if anybody knows answers to these that you think I am unaware of or that I have completely missed. If you know ways to minimize pitch mark damage, please let me know. You can leave uh, leave comments or when I post this on Twitter, you can uh, contact me there. Or if you must, drop me an email and I will uh, try, to, try to take note of that. I may even reply to you. And if you know ways to control seed heads, not so much on Zoysia japonica, but especially on Zoysia matrella, manila grass, I would be quite interested to hear about those. And if, if you have some anecdotes yourself or some observations about things that have worked, I would be interested to hear them. I thank you so much for listening. I do have a lot more blog posts, classic ones, ones that have been completely missed and unread that I think are worth a, a second look, a double cut treatment, and ones that are so classic and have been so highly read that I think they're worthwhile talking about some more. 
And I have some people that I want to talk about some of this stuff with too. So sometimes you'll get this show where it's just me doing a bit of a monologue, but other times I'm going to be talking to some turfgrass managers or some turfgrass scientists or some turfgrass students from around the world as we discuss some of these topics also. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. I, I really do appreciate that there are some other people around the world who are interested in these kind of topics just as much, maybe more than I am. So thank you so much. I, I am flattered that you take the time to watch and listen to this. For ATC, from Yantikau, Thailand, I'm Michael Woods.